So how do you guys start off 2020? How many of you guys started off the year with a New Year's resolution? What is it? Any of you all? To put your clothes away. I'm pretty, I'm just going to say it. I'm pretty sure Katie has the same New Year's resolution for me. I've already failed multiple times. We were five days in. Yeah, so people start off with New Year's resolutions. I know not everybody does a New Year's resolution. Um, I tried several times to do a New Year's resolution. One year, my New Year's resolution was to have a New Year's resolution. That didn't even work out right. But listen, we always have them. A lot of people do them. Some people, it's about, you know, I want to lose weight in 2020. I want to have a perfect diet in 2020. I want to run a marathon in 2020. You're, you're nuts, but I want to run a marathon in 2020. These are all hypothetical. These are not me. I don't want to run a marathon. But what is, why do we do that? Why do we want a New Year's resolution? It's all about the betterment of ourselves, I would think. Some people, on the other hand, decide that this year they're going to have a word specifically for their life. You guys are looking at me like, what in the world does that mean? Some people think and believe that God has given them a word for that specific year, that that year is going to define that specific year. And I do it too. Last year, my word in 2019 was delight. I wanted to delight in my relationship with Christ. I wanted to delight in his word. I wanted to delight in my ministry. I wanted to delight in who he was and who I was in him and in my family. Now, some of you guys in this room, I know more so than the adults, I know some of the adults in the room have said that there is a word for the year. Chrissy, yours is? Anticipation. You heard her ask earlier for pray for anticipation. Her word for the year is to anticipate. If this was a mess, I would say do not anticipate. But yeah, she has the word anticipate. Becky, do you had one, didn't you? Sort of rest, which is a huge one also with Katie. Katie's word is also rest because we have found that being parents, yes, it is difficult to rest, but not in the, real, not in the sense of sleeping. We have a hard time just relaxing together. It, most of the times, whenever we rest, it is pretty much Disney Plus, Netflix, and laying on the couch on our phones. In all reality, that's not rest. Because in all reality, that time would be better served interacting with one another because our time together is more focused on our child more so than us. Our time together, we spent more time in God's Word because usually the thing that falls to the back burner the fastest is our relationship with Christ. So her word, as well as Becky's, is rest. Mine this year is the word shine. Shine. Philippians chapter 2 says that we should shine like stars in the universe, in a crooked and twisted generation. And the thing that sets us apart is that we would not grumble, we would not be bitter, we would not be negative. Three things I don't want to be. I am very easily a person who becomes critical. I, I observe people, I observe what they do, I observe how they think and how the, what they say. Sometimes I can get a little too negative, and sometimes I get wrapped up in too much of that negativity. So I wanted to be something different. And in the world of negativity, in the world of bitterness, I wanted to stand out. Not for the sake that I am standing out among everybody else so you could see me, because the same word, that, that word shine in Philippians 2, is also found in Psalm 67, which says, God, may your face shine upon us so that others can see you and give glory to you. So my goal, my word for the year, my, if you want to call it resolution, is that I may shine in such a way that people see Jesus. I want that in my relationships. I want that in my parenting, in my marriage, in every aspect. I want that. But I also want to stand here tonight and say that there is a word for the Summit Student Ministry for 2020. That's, it's coming from my heart. 
This is what I think you all need to hear. This is what I think you all need to wrap your minds around. Say the word, doer. Doer. In James chapter 1, it says, we don't want you to be hearers of the word. We want you to be doers of the word. The word that I want you all to take away from tonight and the rest of this year is that we are going to be doers of God's word. And so tonight we are starting a series called Owning the Vision. It's time for all of us, every single one of us, for you guys to take ownership of what God has for you. You want to apply God's word, you want to hear God's word, you want to share God's word. It's time for to take ownership. See, Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Where there's no vision, the people will perish. Basically, what that means is there's no vision set out, there's nothing for people to follow. If there's no vision, there's no purpose. If there's no vision, there's no mission. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. How many of you guys, maybe you're not, sorry, that was, this year will be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. How many of you guys have ever asked for vision? I'm not talking about like, you got glasses and you ask God for vision. That's not what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have ever actually asked God for vision in your life? To see things, most of the adults and some of you younger kids, you want to see things differently. You want to know what God has in store for this year. You want to know what he's doing. If you don't think you've ever asked for this, you actually do it a lot. Most of us have asked the question, for being honest, God, what do you want me to do? How many of you ever asked that? Been there, done that, asked it a million times. Or the different question, God, what is your will for my life? Those are all vision questions, and all those questions from, come from a desperate need to see God doing something. Usually those questions come in very difficult times. The, que- the times where I ask God, what is your will, what is your plans, were usually in times of crisis, usually in times of just wandering around. And one time... I was working for a guy down in Huntington working on a farm. All I did all day was weed eat. I, sm- I came home smelling like gasoline, blood, and mud. It was a great day if I came home smelling like all that. And my arms would like vibrate for like four hours after I come home from work because I'd be weed eating for eight hours. But I asked my boss, his name is Audie, and his, his mom and dad, his in-laws actually go to this church, the Offenburgers. And I asked Audie, I was like, Audie, what's God's will for my life? He goes, well, that's a selfish question. I was like, uh, ouch. He goes, stop asking that question because that question is all about you. That's not what God wants you to hear. He goes, what is God's will? And ask, how can you be a part of it? I'm like, well, that's not as fun to ask the other question because I want to know specifics. He goes, you're not always going to know specifics. See, all of us want to know what God's will is. We all want to know it's all specifically for our life. We want to know what God's vision for our life is, but all those things, all those questions are in reality are just self-centered. How many of you guys know the story? Most of you know her name. How many of you know the story about Helen Keller? Yeah, born blind, born deaf. In a way, she was able to find ways of communicating. It's amazing the life that she lived, and she actually lived a very much a Christian life. It's actually a really cool story, her life. But she was quoted, I love this line, listen to this. It says, The only thing worse than being born blind is to be born with sight, but with no vision. 
She says, the worst thing, there's worse things than being born blind. She was born blind, but she says the, the worst thing would be if, yes, I was born with sight, but still had no vision because vision brings purpose. Vision brings mission. Bring, vision brings clarity. Vision brings opportunity. Tonight, we are going to talk about this desire to want vision, vision for our lives, vision for our families, our careers, your colleges. We all want vision. Let me tell you what I want you to hear, that grand vision, grand vision, the big things, the things that we want God to do is never about us. Grand vision is a God-centered vision, not a self-centered vision. Instead of asking the question, God, what is your will for my life? We say, God, what is your will? Because God's story is so much bigger than your story. You are going to be blessed, on average, to be here, what, 70 years? Some of you are going to make it to 100. But the average person will make it to around 70. Do you really think that your story, whether it's 70 years, 100 years, do you really think that that 70 to 100 years is going to make a God-sized impact on the world? In all reality, No. Do you really think that you are that special that God's will requires you? We, in all reality, we are not that important. Sorry to tell you that. That's the the truth. If you listen to a TED talk that says you are the greatest thing on earth, it's a lie. We are not that great. The only thing great in this world is Jesus. And so to have a grand vision is to have a God-centered vision. One where it says, God, what do you want to do? Where do you want us to be? In all the reality, the, the main question you need to start asking, instead of what do I do, is supposed to ask, who am I supposed to be? That's a more important question. Who am I will determine what you do, but we'll get to that in a second. We're going to read here in a little bit to Philippians chapter 3. So if you have the Bible on the table, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3 on page 992 in those Bibles, or if you follow along on your phone. Philippians chapter 3, on page 922, we're going to start in verse 7. Give you a couple seconds. Philippians chapter 3, start in verse 7. It's Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen real carefully to verse 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anyone If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to be found in Christ. I want to have the power of Christ. None of those things in any of this 
is self-centered. None of this is self-centered. That's why I want us to hear. A grand vision is God-centered because a self-centered vision will ask selfish questions. You're going to ask questions specifically for your convenience or for your benefit. What am I going to get out of this? God, if I follow you, what will I get from you? These are all selfish questions like, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with my life? What is your will for my life? All those questions are full of me and I. A God-centered vision seeks Jesus and his will above our own. It's the questions like, what do you or who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to become? What is your will? What are your plans? How can I be a part of what you are doing? And the, the person that we follow, the person that we sing to, the person that we try to imitate is Jesus. Did you realize that Jesus, even though he was God, still did this? That in the night before he was crucified, when he's praying in the garden, he says, Father, I would love for this cup, this, what I'm getting ready to go through, to pass for me, but not my will, but yours. He, in his own rights, he had his own visions, he had his own plans, but in all things he submitted to his Father and to his Father's will. He was God-centered, not self-centered. Paul, who wrote this, found this and shared it with the church of Philippi. He believed that the vision of God was for everyone to be found in Jesus, for everyone to know him, for everyone to be made like him. But if you remember the story of Paul, Paul used to be known as Saul, was persecuting the church. He would go town to town, open doors, pull people out of their homes, hold their coats, and they would get stoned, killed, rocks thrown at them until they die. Paul basically murdered Christians. But if you remember the story, he goes on the road to Damascus and he's going to that town. And in that moment, Jesus appears to him in a vision in front of him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And if you remember, he became blind. But it's interesting, even in his blind state, he found great vision. Because in that moment, Jesus told him what he would become, who he would be, what he would do. And that changed, that day changed the trajectory of his life. He had every reason to stay where he was, though. Paul was the religious of religious people. He was the Pharisee. He knew the law better than anybody else. He thought he was pursuing God, but yet in all reality, he wasn't. He had a lot of things that he had good in his life. But then he realized that he also had a lot of dark things in his life. He very well could have pursued that self-centered vision. He could have kept pursuing the religious law. He could have, could have kept pursuing killing Christians. But Jesus changed his life. That's not what God had envisioned for him. He went on to, after that day on the road, after he spent a couple of years learning and training under the apostles, he became the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. And because of the, that day, that the trajectory of his life changed because he received not sight, but vision. You and I, in all reality, are sitting in a church because of what God did through Paul. Paul took the message of God to different parts of Asia and up into Rome. And because that went to Rome, it spread to Europe. And because it spread to Europe, it came to the Americas. What God did through his servant Paul, but all became, all became about because of his vision. Two years ago, it was January of 2018, Stood right here. You guys didn't know what I was doing, but I stood right here, and I did a sermon series through this exact passage about 
what it means to press on towards the upward call of Christ Jesus, what it means to forget what lies behind. Because a lot of times, we'll, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we'll spend time reading Philippians 3. Because it says we'll forget what lies behind and press forward to what lies ahead. But in all reality, I was just laying a foundation for what God was giving me at the time. God gave me a vision for what this ministry could be and what it should be. And I said to you in that message, it's like climbing a mountain. That being a part of Je- being in a life with Jesus is like climbing a mountain. There's something that you're reaching forward to. There's something that you're climbing upwards to, and you've not yet obtained it. And a few months later, I said, hey, by the way, we're changing our ministry name to the summit, which is the reason why I started doing that. I said, because there is something that we're trying to obtain. There is a point in this life that we're trying to reach out to. We will never actually reach it in this life, but we're trying to strive for it. We want to reach fulfillment. We want to reach perfection. We want to reach all this, but all of this is in Jesus. I stood before you two years ago and laid out everything that I'm just getting ready to share now because everything that came out of that message, everything that came about a few months later all came from this passage, which is all the things that we believe as a ministry. And this is what we believe God's vision for our lives and your life actually is because this vision of God is God-centered, not self-centered. Here's what we believe. Because of what we read here, we believe that you and I can know Jesus. We believe that you can know Jesus. I'm not talking about just this idea of, I, yeah, I know about Jesus. I know a little bit about who he was or what he did. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He lived like 2,000 years ago. Pretty cool dude. That's not what we're talking about. We believe that you can know him, comprehend him, fully talk with him, hear from him, worship him, live with him. That's what we believe. We believe that you can know who he is, know what he's done, specifically also what he's done for you. And not only that, we believe that we can be found in Jesus. What does that mean? If you come to my house, you meet me, I am in a relationship with who? Katie, you all know my wife. I'm in a relationship. I am married to my wife. She and I are now one. We are found in each other. We are one. It's the same thing. We, to be found in Jesus means you have an intimate relationship with Jesus. So when I say you can be found in Jesus because you've accepted him, if you know him, you believe in him, you trust in him, you are now found in him. So when I think of Dave Medley, I think of not just Dave Medley, I think about his relationship with Jesus because it's no longer marked by the old Dave Medley. It's now marked by the new creation in Jesus. He is being found in Jesus. And at the end of the day, because I know he is obedient, but I know he's trusting, at the end of the day, he will be found in Jesus. Now, we know that's true of all of you if you put your faith in Christ. So we can know Jesus. We believe that we can be found in Jesus. The third thing, we believe we can be made like Jesus. Every single one of us have a purpose in this world. It's not something different for everybody. It's actually the same thing for everybody. We believe that the ultimate purpose in this life is to look more like Jesus. I don't, at the end of the day, I don't want you all to see Scott McClure and all my flaws, all my failures, all the things I do wrong. I want you to look at me and see Jesus. That's why the word of my life for the year is shine. I want to see Jesus shining on me. I don't want to see Kendrick. I want to see Jesus. And guess what? That's not a perfection thing. You guys are not perfect. I'm not perfect. And let me tell you, Chrissy, I know, you can pull your jaw jaw back up. None of you guys will ever be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. No matter what resolution you start, whether it's a diet plan, 
workout plan, whether you accomplish five marathons, you will never be perfect. There was one person who lived a perfect life. His name was Jesus, and I strive to be like him. Well, guess what? If I want to be like him, who he, who he is perfect, that means I, can't, I have to live a perfect life. Well, I can't live a perfect life. I can't do it. But I can strive to be more like him, getting rid of the things in my life that are hindering me, getting rid of the things that are sinful in my life, getting rid of the dishonor, dishonoring that I have in my life, the, the, the disobedience in my life. I want to get rid of all those things, not for the sake of you looking at me and saying, good job, well done, you gave it up, good job, pat you on the back. No, at the end of the day, I get rid of all those things for the sole purpose of looking more like the very person who died for you and me. That's what I want to do. We believe that we can know Jesus, be found in him, be made like him. Fourth thing, we believe that we need to forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. To do this, to be like Jesus, to look like Jesus. Did I forget that slide, Hudson? I did. It's all good. Forget what lies behind, press on to what lies. There it is. Thank you, sir. Good job, Hudson. If you want to fulfill what God has called you to be, if you want to be who God's called you to be, you need to forget what lies behind and you press on to what lies ahead. That's simple. Those of you who got your driver's license this year, you cannot drive that far in reverse. You know that, right? You also cannot drive forward always looking in your rearview mirror. What's going to happen? You're going to die. You're going to, I'm just going to be honest. You're going to die. You're going to run to a pole and die. This is what happens. You cannot drive forward always looking in your rear, rear view mirror. It's the same thing when you get married. The last thing your spouse ever wants to hear when you get married, I had a great girlfriend back in the day. She was awesome. You should be more like her. Stop looking at what was behind you and stop looking, start looking at what's before you. That's how it works. You can only go forward if you're looking forward. If you're driving and you start looking to the left, you're going to go left. You start looking backwards, you're going to go backwards. Press it on to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? Jesus. That's why Hebrews says, fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Get rid of the things that hinder and lie, look at what lies ahead. And the last thing that we believe is that we are to make him known. We're supposed to make Jesus known. If you read Passion, it says we are supposed to make the fame of Jesus known. We're supposed to make Jesus famous. Not that he needs our help to do it, but he does need our help to do it. We are supposed to make Jesus known. If you and I sit here to believe that you're religious, you, you come to church, you read your Bible in a year, I tried, I failed, I'm like 40 days back, I'm just being honest with you, I'm vulnerable here, 40 days back, but if you're all here and you think, I'm good, I'm religious, I attend church every single Sunday, I've been there on Wednesday nights, I've been there on Sunday nights, I even go to Awana's, I did all this stuff, I have all these memory verses, I even have a uh, I Am Second wristband, I even wear Jesus t-shirts like the End It Movement, I do all these different things, I go to Passion, I go to all these different things, I go to concerts, I go to this, I go to summer camp, all those great religious things, but yet you still don't make Jesus known, all that stuff is garbage. You've wasted everything. Otherwise, all you've done in all of that is the most selfish act ever. That you prioritize yourself so highly that no one else deserves what you've heard. That no one else deserves to know what you know. To make Jesus known is, how, is what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to tell the world who Jesus is. We're supposed to show, him, show them who Jesus is. It's time... For every single person in this room, myself, adults, young, old, whatever, every single kid, it's time to take ownership of that. It's time to step it up 
and take ownership of this vision. What do I mean by take ownership? As you pointed out already, as we talked about already, some of you guys got one of the greatest blessings this year in the form of keys to a car. You guys got your driver's license. You get in that car. You realize how much power you now have at your fingertips. You are now in charge of a moving vehicle going at below 60 miles. I'm just kidding. You're going at high speeds on the interstate, high, low speeds through town. Fun story. So I won't say who. Not anyone in this room. Someone from Passion got pulled over after we got back the other night. That was funny uh, because C.W. and I ran into them getting pulled over at GoMart filling up the church fans. It was Max Bennett. It was really funny. Uh, going, you don't go 40 in Williamstown. You just don't do that. You all know where the cops are seated in Williamstown. You all know, right? Man, they were everywhere. Fun story. That cop that went and got him called for another cop because it was late at night. That cop passed me in front of where Parker's used to be, the green building. I was going 24. All of a sudden, he's going 60 around me. I nearly crapped my pants because all of a sudden, there's this car at 2 or 30 in the morning is passing me. I thought it was CW. I'm like, you're a moron. What are you doing? Anyways. All that, you now have in your hand keys to a car. You have all the opportunity in the world to go wherever you want to go. But yet the decisions you are supposed to make, the responsibilities that you now have, you have now ownership, yes, it's your mom and dad's, but you have now ownership of this car. And what you decide to do will possibly determine who you're going to be the rest of your life. Where you go will determine where you're going to be the rest of your life. If that's not sitting with you, in a few years, some of you guys in eight months are going to be going to college soon. In eight months, some of you guys will step f- foot on a college campus. And I've always said this, and I truly believe this. The first two weeks of college are the most important weeks of your life. More important than your wedding day, more important than whatever birthday you celebration you had. The first two weeks of college are the most important days of your life. You know why? You now have full ownership of your life. You're no longer under mom and dad's roof. You're no longer under their authority. You might still be on their bank account, but they're still sending you a few dollars here and there. But now you have full freedom to do whatever you want, to go wherever you want, whenever you want. The wrong decision in those first two weeks will change the trajectory of your life in a very bad way. My best friend was on a very bad trajectory in those first two weeks. And then one day someone invited him to come to our campus ministry. He came that night and I said, hey, I'm Scott. He's Drew. You ever go hiking? He's like, I hate hiking, but I'll go. Three of us next morning went hiking. To this day, he says that question, do you ever go hiking, changed his life. Because he was going on a trajectory and needed course correction. And just a simple question of someone inviting them to hang out changed his trajectory of his life. An encounter with somebody changed the trajectory of his life. That's what Paul did here. We all need to step up and be responsible. It's now time for you to take ownership of your faith. Listen. Your mom and dad's faith is not good enough for you to get into heaven. You know that. Just because your mom and dad are believers, just because your mom and dad are active in church, does not mean anything for you. The only thing that it means is that they hopefully have been giving you a great foundation to build upon. But listen, what I just said is a foundation for you 
to build upon. It's time for you to take ownership of what you believe. If you come into this room every single Sunday night, every single Wednesday, if we ever have stuff, if you go to every retreat and you say, I am a Christian, it's time to take ownership of it. It's time for you to actually step up and profess and live what you believe. That's why we as a church, if you come here on Sunday, night, Sunday mornings, if you come over the next few weeks or the next few months, we're talking a lot about the vision for FBCW. It's love God, love people, love more people. Everything that we do as a student ministry falls under that umbrella of vision. And that's what we are calling our church to do. That's what we're calling you and I to do. It is time for you to take ownership and love God. Next three weeks, we're going to spend time talking about what that means. What does it mean to take ownership of loving God? Because, listen, when we gather here on Sunday nights, we worship. We sing songs. But is worship all about music? No. Worship more about everything else in this life? Yes. We're going to talk about what it means to actually love God. God. What does it mean to love God above myself? What does it mean to love God and submit everything to him? That's what we're going to talk about next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about what does it mean to love people? Do I really have to love everybody? I don't really like to. But yet it says that we love others the way God's loved us. We love others more than we love ourselves. That presents a weird dilemma that we're in that we don't know how to navigate. That's what we'll talk about the next week. And the week after that, we're going to talk about what it means to love more people. Do you really mean to tell me that God's will, God's purposes includes people of different races, different genders, different countries, different work lives, different schools? Yes. But we actually don't really take ownership of that and do it. Otherwise, this room would be packed out every single week, not just a bunch of kids from Williamstown and Marietta. If we really believed that we love God, that love would compel us to love people, and that love for people would lead us to, and compel us to love more people. So never be satisfied with the fact that there are people who are not here, for whatever reason, who need to know Jesus. That's not okay. It's time to take ownership of this, which leads us to, as we start to wrap up, what the vision moving forward in 2020. I've said this to our student leadership team. I've said this to our vision team. I've said this to our adult leader team. I've said this to our church staff. Real simple. Ready? 1%. Say it. 1%. Did you know that right now there's 13,500 high school and middle school students within 25 miles of this room? 13,000. 13,500 middle school and high school students. Nine high schools. Nine. I can't count middle schools. I don't know. I, I lost track after a while. A bunch. We'll say 20 or 12. So let's say 20 schools represented within 25 miles of here. If I look around the room right now, I can see four to five schools, high schools, whether it be Wood County Christian, Marietta, Williamstown, Parkersburg. Thank you. I'm looking, looking around. What are we doing? You know, here's what, we, here's what we typically do as churches. Ready? Let's hire the best youth pastor ever, and he'll reach that 1% goal by himself. He can play guitar. He'll rock the flannel. He might have a man bun. His name's probably Chad. You know, that's the kind of guy, that's the stereotypical youth pastor that we want. He is a superstar. He'll get it done. That never works. It's never worked and never will work. Okay, how about how we build the most fantastic youth facility in the entire valley. This place is amazing, if you all don't realize that. No one else has the, uh, this. This is special. 
Let's build this giant facility. I don't care how much money we spend on it. I don't care how much money we have to pay off for the next 25 years. Let's build it so that kids will want to come here. Let's have the best lights that sometimes work. Let's put the best Christmas lights up for some reason turn off during worship. Let's have the best projector that sometimes pushes the screen over that way. Let's build the perfect set which, where there's wood coming off over there. Let's do all that. that. That will get kids to come. They'll show up for that. Let's make sure we have the best pizza. Let's not do Papa John's or Little Caesars. I want Shorty's Pizza. I want... What's the new place? Uh, Donato's. Donato's. That's glory right there. Let's do all that. Then the kids will come. Let's have the best worship team in the land. And then they'll come. Let me tell you something. All those things are all good things, but it'll never get people here. Do you know what gets people to come? People. Well done. People get people to show up. Did you know 97 percent of people, people interviewed, said they would come to church if they were invited. 97%. Do the math. 97 of your school. 97% of the 13,500 in this valley. I'm not saying they're all going to come here. 97 would come if they were invited. You know, the problem is no one ever invites. For whatever reason, whether it's you're timid or you're, you're scared, whatever it is, that's not the point. But you don't invite. If you think to yourself, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but when was the last time you actually invited somebody? Okay, you, did, I said you, I, you didn't have to show my hands, but good job. But what would it look like? What would it look like if every single person in this room decided, you know what, I'm going to take ownership of my faith. I'm going to take ownership of what God's calling. I'm going to take ownership of this vision. I want to help reach 1%. That's only 135 people. Does that sound crazy? It shouldn't. You want to know why? Still to this day, whether there's 60 people in here, 50 people, every single month we've seen 150 different kids come through these doors. 135 doesn't sound so big now, does it? What, if, what would it look like if all of us started to step it up to reach 1%? What does it take? It takes you being serious about loving God. It takes you being serious about loving people. It takes you being serious about loving more people. That you believe that you can know Jesus. That you believe that you can be found in Jesus. You believe that you can be made like Jesus. And you believe that your purpose is to forget what lies behind and press on towards what lies ahead. And your purpose is to make, not Emma known, your purpose is to make Jesus known. That's what it's going to take. I want this room always to be filled. Do you think I want to do it so I can pat myself on the back and say, I did it? Never. Do you think I want to put enough people in the seats that, and enough band members up here to make us look good as a church where I can put pictures on Instagram and show off all my other youth pastors, hey, hey, look at us, we're better than you? No. You know why? For every person that comes through the door, that's a salvation or that's eternity in hell. I want more and more people to come to hear the story of Jesus, to know that they can be made like him, made for him, and to make him known so that they'll do that in eternity. How much do you have to hate somebody to not invite them to an encounter with Jesus? How much do you have to hate somebody that you believe their eternal destination is hell? It might make you uncomfortable talking about it, but that's, you know, they're, they're going there. It's, it's on them. The next few weeks, we're going to talk more about what that actually means. 
As we start wrapping up here, and we'll sing another song here in a moment, I just want to spend time praying again. Like we started, we prayed for one another. You heard people praying for anticipation. You heard people praying for salvation. We're going to pray right now just for your response. Some of you guys are here, and you've been coming for months. You've been coming for years. You've been coming to church for your entire life, but you don't own it. You don't own it at all. You still don't believe. You've heard every single message. You've heard every single thing. And there's something in your heart that says, you know what? I'm supposed to own that. I'm supposed to take hold of that. I'm supposed to believe that. We're going to give you a moment here, an opportunity to, to believe that. You might be here and you're like, you know what? I've lived my entire life. I've lived my entire Christian life so self-centered. Focus only on me. It's time to step it up and own it. We're going to give you an opportunity to, to own your faith. I want every heart here to be filled with this knowledge of who Jesus is. And I want every single one of you all to be made more like him. I can brag on the majority of you. I don't know every single person in this room that well. But those who I do know, those who I get to spend a lot of time with, and those adults I know will agree with this, so many of you guys have grown up. I've been here two and a half years. I've seen some of you guys physically grown up, but more importantly, I've seen you guys spiritually grown up, where you're starting to take hold of this. You're starting to take ownership of this. You now realize it's not just about what my mom and dad believe. It's not about what I believe. I want that to be true of every single one of us, to reach the 1% in this rally, to reach this what Christ has called before us. We have to take ownership of this vision of becoming like him and making him known.